0: Salty Life, Salty Life, and let, let's just, uh, again, recap uh, where this series came from, because some of you haven't been here in a bit, and so we, we were talking about the idea of seeing a bumper sticker on someone's car that says Salt Life, and then you would immediately think, yeah, they probably surf, or they fish, or they, you know, they live near the beach, Are they a tourist, and they just thought it was a cool sticker, and then they leave, so that would not be the same person we're talking about. We're, we're talking about someone who that just kind of identifies or represents them. And so then that leads into the idea of me being in public, somebody coming up behind me at public saying, so I hear you're a Christian. So I turn around and look, and there's this guy who attends church here. I didn't, I didn't recognize him, but he does attend church here. Uh, and so I, we begin to talk. And on the way home from public, this, this idea hit me of, If he didn't know what you did for a living, if he didn't know you had a platform every week, would he really, really say those words to you? And it wrecked me. I mean, it completely, like, floored me. So much so that I'm driving. uh, We live south of Publix, way down down south, nine miles uh, north of the inlet. And so I'm driving, and God's dealing with my heart in such a way that I can't even pull in my neighborhood. I just keep going to the inlet. And I'm just God's just like working in my heart, Jason. Would 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 somebody really know? And so that, that flowed into me again, seeing a bumper sticker and then saying, Am I living a salty life? Am I living a life in such a way that someone would know if they ran across me and didn't know what I, I did for a living, would would they know that that I was a Christ follower? Am I living a salty life? Matthew 5.13 says it this way, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In other words, Jesus is saying, look guys, if you're a Christ follower, you are called to be the salt of the earth. First week, we looked at this series. We talked about a scale and how on this side of the scale, there's this... There's this gnarly world, and on this side are those of us who profess Christ as our Savior, and we are called and challenged by the Word of God to hold the balance in this world that we live in. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? And so so we're the salt of the earth, and the salt loses its saltiness. What good is it anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot? So we are the salt of the earth. And so the question that... I would submit to you and propose that maybe you ask yourself are you living a salty life? First of all with those closest to you, your spouse, your children, and then broaden that out to your coworkers, and then your neighbors. That's a given right there, your neighbors. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. And then um, cuz sometimes I get home from work, I don't wanna, like I don't want to talk to my neighbors. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't even, you know, I just want to zoom in, get out, be done. Um, but, but am I being salty to my neighbors? And am I being salty to people in my, my office? Am I being salty to those around me? And so, what does salt do? It flavors, preserves, makes you thirsty. So, am I bringing flavor to the people who God has put in my life? Am I preserving the community in which God has placed me in with godly values and kindness and the fruit of the Spirit? And then, am I making people around me thirsty, or am I making them, like, bitter? Do they want what I have because I actually act on a daily basis that I have good stuff from God? Or am I acting in such a way that they're like, dude, I wouldn't want you, what you have if I if I had to drink. it? surely it's bitter because that's the way you're acting. Y'all still with me? So now, I know I'm in the 1130 service now because... <laughs> Yeah, because now you're back to normal form right now. <sighs> all right, we're going to have a family time right in the middle of my message today. Okay, you're all getting up. I'm just kidding. We're not. We're not doing that. So so let's. So you know, I looked at Romans and looked at a, a David last week and the week before. And so I'm talking to Raina. I'm like, you know, where, where can I go with this series? And I'm praying. And, and so I was like, I, I was thinking about Peter, which I still may preach on Peter in the series. And, but it was back to restoration and looking at, at so many people in the Bible. And every time we landed at restoration, and, and she, she basically said, which all good wives do, she didn't say it, but she meant it. You're an idiot. <laughs> and without saying it. No, you didn't say it. She said, James, you can't talk about any great person in the Bible without talking about restoration. And a light bulb came out. Well, you're right. You're exactly right. I mean, anybody who did anything great for God in the Bible, most of them, they've been restored. So I'm still on David. So if you would like to take this journey with me, feel free. I can't get away from David just yet. And so last week, we talked about David at Ziklag and and that whole deal. And then uh, a lot of fun stuff had spun out of, of that message. Today, we're going to look at 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 12, and we're going to look at this amazing story of Mephibosheth, David and Mephibosheth, and so I want you to do this with me right now. I want you to say that word with me, because I will butcher it at some point today. Are you ready? On three. One, two, three. That was sad, and neither one of you guys even did it. I'm No, she did? She's the good one. Okay, yeah. Come on, say it with me three times as fast as you can. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. All right, so now you, all, you know my pain. You know my pain for the rest of this day. You understand. So let's read the story. Second Samuel 9, 1 through 12. Reading now the NIV version. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, "Are you Ziba, at your service?" He replied. The king asked, "Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness?" Ziba answered the king, "There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he?" David asking. The king asked. Ziba answered, "He is in the house of Makar, son of Amiel, in Lodabar." So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makar, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Verse 10, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land of him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever, my lord, the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness in our life. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray right now that you would get me out of the way, and you would get in our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. Number one, David was salted because he asked the right questions. If you're, if you're like in your early 20s, late 20s, in, in your mid-30s, late 30s, early 40s, late 40s, early 50s, late 50s, early 60s, late 60s. If you're in your 70s, 80s, and if you're fortunate enough to be in your 90s, and I, I, maybe like the century mark. There is an unbelievable spiritual lesson that we can learn as Christ followers in asking God the right questions. And David was a master at this. 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 4, we'll read verse 9. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So, so if you go to verse 4, Kim, can you do that? So David asked the right question and he gets to verse 4. Where is he? Because Ziba says, yeah, there is somebody. Where is he? He's in Lodabar. Lodabar means a barren, nasty place. So he's in a barren, nasty place. And here David is like, go find him. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makar, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So here David is asking the right questions. He, he proved this time and time again in his life. Remember last week, Ziklag, the story of Ziklag? What did David ask God? Shall I pursue the raiding party and will I overtake them? Because David, he didn't want to go out to battle until he knew if, if like God was on his side. Shall I pursue them and will I overtake them? And God said, yes, pursue them. You will surely overtake them and recover everything that has been taken from you. He asked the right question. I love David when he shows up to the battle lines when, when Goliath, the Philistine, is taunting the armies of God. And David David's dad said, hey, why don't you go take some cheese and bread and some supplies to your brothers and bring me back a report of how they're doing. And, and David shows up and he sees this giant taunting the armies of God. And the first thing he does, you read the story. He says, what will be done and are given for the man? who kills this giant. He always asks the right questions. And it, it got me to thinking, am I asking God the right questions in my life? Because like, I can, I'm a, I'm a professional whiner. I don't mean drinking, I mean whining. I know some, this is probably just for me, but this is what God showed me in the life of David but there is a tendency sometimes for a circumstance to happen in my life turns my life upside down and I'll be I'll be talking with God and I will just be I'll be like remember the weed eater, eater syndrome wah, 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 wah. and I know God's up there going Jason we've been through this already when are you just going to talk to me Oh no. And God's okay with that. Don't get me wrong. God's big enough for any question you have, but God loves when his children ask the right questions. And the right questions are asked when we reveal how great God is through reading his word. And we ask questions that are in reference to how great God is. Remember last, last week we talked about David was salted because he didn't let a circumstance determine the, the greatness of God. Well, David asked the right questions because he was, he was so in tune with who God was at this point in his life. And he's like, is there anybody left in Saul's family? Is there anyone left? So in my own life, as Jason, and you can take from this what you will, are, are you, am I, asking God the right questions? And say, Jason, is there a wrong question to ask God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God is big enough for any of your questions. But sometimes our questions don't get answered because we're asking questions that have already been answered. Amen. You get what I'm saying? David, David was locked in on how... He knew how great God was. And he knew... What God could do, had done, will do. And, and so he was asking the right questions. So when you come across that fruit of the Spirit in the Bible, it's called kindness. David said, is there anybody left in the lineage of Saul and Jonathan that I can show kindness to? David was asking a question that was in line with the Word of God because he was in a place of authority and he should be showing kindness. So are we asking the questions in our life? Are we asking questions of God that are in reference to the word of God? He, he asked the right questions. Next thing, number two. David was salty because he understood the importance of covenant. 2 Samuel 9 5. So David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makar, son of Amiel. So now, here comes Mephibosheth who is the last breathing relative of Saul. Saul tried to kill David. David was best friends with Jonathan, and Jonathan was Saul's son. You still with me? All right, so, so we're still tracking. So here, here, you have, here you have this whole idea of, and now, now you remember the story, right? David and, and Jonathan are hanging out, and David says, Jonathan, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan says, my dad would never kill you. David says, no, I'm serious. He's trying to kill me. He would never try to kill you. Dude, he threw a sword at me and pinned me against the wall. I'm pretty sure he's trying to kill me. And so they devise this plan. They get the boy to come out and shoot some arrows. And sure enough, Jonathan goes back, finds out. I'm paraphrasing because we already talked about this. Finds out that, yes, my dad's trying to kill my best friend. And so I'm telling you, the Bible's better than TV. I promise you. So then Jonathan goes out and meets David. And David says... You know what I told you I was right. I'm paraphrasing. And Jonathan says, "Yep, you were right. He's trying to kill you." And so they have this unbelievable moment right here, where where David looks at Jonathan and says, "Hey, God has brought us together, and I promise you that nothing, nothing from my camp, in other words, nothing from me, will ever harm any of your future generations." And they hug and kiss and they part ways. And when I say kiss, not in a weird way, that was just a, it's like shaking hands now. It's like chest bump. That's what they did back then. It's, yeah. Maybe that wasn't a good illustration. <laughs> anyway, so now David, David is in the palace. David, Jonathan's dead. Saul's dead. And so David says, hey, you know what? Is there anybody left I can show kindness to? What would lead him to say that? It's called covenant. We live in a contract society, don't we? You do what you're supposed to do. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But the moment that you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm released from what I said I was going to do. And, and this was a covenant society. And, and he had made covenant with Jonathan. And so David, to me, was salty to those around him because he understood covenant so much so he was trying to find someone to show kindness to because of his covenant to Jonathan. Hey, if you're here today and, and you've been divorced, yesterday's gone, today's a new day. If you're here today and you're married and you're struggling in your marriage, can I encourage you right now at this very moment to realize that you got married before God in a covenant and do whatever you have to do, bite as hard, scream as hard, spit as hard, go get help from somewhere, but you will be glad one day that you stayed in that covenant and it will be salty to future generations to come and salty to those around you who know that you're going through a living hell right now but if you just keep going keep pressing keep doing what you said you were going to do at that altar it'll pay off one day it'll pay off it, it, it will literally pay off one day in the sense that you'll you'll have grandkids and you'll you'll see your children prosper and you'll 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 be able to say you know what and, and I love the 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 words of Billy Graham's wife I what's her name I don't I don't know her name what is it what is it we are all saying it at the same time Ruth Ruth is it Ruth what is it or just Ruth I told you. I told you before, growing up, I thought my first name was Dang It, and that's putting it lightly, (laughs) and my last name was Jason. Dang It, Jason. (laughs) So, (laughs) anyway, she she uh, she said um, she said no divorce was never an option. Barbara Walters asked her, and and there was a pause, and Barbara Walters says, "Well, that's awesome," and she said, "Murder was (laughs) straight up." She straight up pulled national television. Murder was, and I, I think she was serious. So I've been married 20 years now. And yeah. There's been some attempts on my life. <laughs> just just let, me, let me encourage you today, man, as a friend, as a pastor. Let me encourage you. Keep going. Go the extra mile. Do what it takes. Stay in that covenant. And don't live your life in a contract state of mind. As Christ followers, we should live our lives with our relationship with Christ In a covenant state of mind. And and a covenant state of mind. Will make you salty. To the rest of the world that we live in. It really will. Number three. David was salty because he was not power hungry. It's good. 2 Samuel 9.6. When Mephibosheth son of Jonathan. The son of Saul came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said Mephibosheth. At your service he replied. So here you have Mephibosheth. Who can't walk. So Ziba had to go get him. Brought him back to where David's at, at this very moment. And so he he pretty much figures, I'm done for. Like, David's going to kill me because I have the last bit of Saul's blood left in, in, in me. And in that time, in the context of the story, anyone who took over a kingship found anybody else that was related to the former king and killed him. That was just the way things rolled. And so, so, so here you have Mephibosheth, and he's like, at your service. So David, by all rights purposes, should have killed Mephibosheth. It would have been normal for David to do that. But he didn't. He didn't, and to me, that's salty. Because we live in a world today, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you live in a different world. We live in a world today where we're taught that power is good. Right? Get power, get more, have more. Do whatever you have to do to climb the ladder. Do whatever you have to do. If you gotta stab somebody in the back in the workplace and stab them in the back, as long as it means that your bottom line at the end of the day is gonna be better than it was at the beginning of the day. Whatever you have to do to, to make yourself more prominent, wherever you, you're placed in life, that's what you have. I mean, we're taught that from when we're small kids. Right? Growing up playing in sports, man, we were taught, look, don't hit back. Hit harder, which you should. That's a different message. <laughs> Only if you have pads on. But, but, but in, in our culture as an are we're, we're taught, and even teenagers, we're taught, do whatever you can. Work the system however you have to work it. Work the system to make sure that you wind up on top. And I'm not talking about working hard. Working hard is a good thing. It's a lost art these days. I'm talking about being salt of the earth by not being power hungry, not taking a shortcut, trying to convince your boss that you're better than this person by saying something that may not be true about them. I'm I'm amazed that people will say, look, I, I didn't lie. I just didn't tell the whole truth. You know what I'm talking about? If any of you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about, right? I didn't lie to you. I just didn't tell you everything. And if we're not careful, we become like the rest of the world, not the salt of the earth. We jump across on the other side of the scale and we start operating like the rest of the wor- world is operating in the corporate world or whether it's in the some kind of association you're involved in or whatever it is. And and you you begin to operate like other people because you think if I don't if I don't operate like them I'm not going to be blessed and I'm not going to get as far as them and people are going to I'm not going to get promoted I'm not going to be liked if I'm not mistaken if you call yourself a Christian God gave you everything you have so God is able to take care of everything you have you don't have to climb the corporate ladder you got to work hard you got to get up dress up and show up. Get up, dress up, show up, and leave the rest to God. Work hard. But the idea of of a a Christian who is hungry for power in the workplace or wherever it is, even in a marriage, at home, it's disgusting. Jesus was never hungry for power because he knew his daddy. Think about that. Jesus was, he was so confident because he knew who his daddy was. Jesus didn't, he didn't have to, he didn't have to worry about he didn't ever, it's not self-promotion, it's the truth is what Jesus was about. And so I would I would submit to you today, if we're going to live a salty life, and it's got to start with those closest to us, then it branches out, and at some point, it, it infiltrates how we behave in society, and are we bringing flavor? Are we preserving the community God's blessed us with and placed us in? And because we act counterculture, are we may, making people thirsty for what we have? Salty life. David wasn't power hungry because he could have killed Mephibosheth. Done. Have him killed. Find him. Have him killed. He didn't do it. Number four. Salty life. David was salty because he gave what he had. He gave what he had received. Second Samuel. 9 and 10, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a busy dude. So here, here we have David who, by all intents and purposes, should have killed Mephibosheth, but he didn't. And he said, "Look, you're going to eat at my table." But he went a step farther and said, "Not only am I not going to kill you, I'm going to give you back all the land that so your your grandfather lost, and then I'm going to tell your 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 grandfather's servant that they will farm that land and grow food for you, and they will take care of you for the rest of the days of your life." Because remember, Mephibosheth could not walk; he was he was crippled. And so here here we have. This amazing story of paying it forward. And David's like, you know what? I didn't work for any of that land. It wasn't my land anyway. So I'm going to give it... I'm going to restore back... Because of my covenant with Jonathan, I'm going to restore that land back. And you're going you're to farm it. And I love... you got to read this in context. When a king said something in that day, it wasn't like, hey, if you want a job, um, I'll pay you this much an hour. And if you'd like to farm this land... You know, and take yeah you know, yeah we'll work, we'll work out all the details later. He he said, "You are going to do it." And when a king said, "You are going to do it," it was basically like, "You're going to do it or done." So so yeah, I wish it was like that as a parent. You are going to do that. Not the part, but No. you and your sons. So so now so now we have this idea. To me, David is so salty because he, he knew, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. He knew that he had been given so much in, in the sense of what God had done for him up to this point. And he was just looking for someone to bless. Can I honor my covenant? And then he finds Mephibosheth. The whole story to me is amazing. Who can you give something to this week? And I'm not talking about monetarily, maybe. But how can you pay it forward this week? How can you pay it forward? This, this is about sixteen, seventeen years ago, and um, at least because my son was still in a, a car seat, and Rain and I are traveling somewhere, and we we went through. Um, this is when we were still sinners. We went to a fast food place. It was it was, what was it called? Healthy fast food? Is that what it was? It was greasy. Chicken, chicken, chicken. Anyway. So we're, we're pulling through the drive-thru, and um, we pull up, and, and this is how much this story marked me because 17 years ago, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. We pull up to the, the window, and I try to pay um, for the health food, and, and, and so the lady goes, it's already been taken care of. And, and, and that has happened to us over the years before. And we've done it for people later in our life when we actually had money, you know, and to, you know, just to bless people. You see a young couple over there. and Actually, we were on our honeymoon, and somebody paid for our lunch. Yeah. But anyway, so we got, she says it's already been taken care of. And we're, I was like, okay. So I look at Raina. I say, like, check the bag because we didn't pay for this. Make sure, like, this is on the up and up. Make sure we got all 18 Happy Meals. <laughs> so... So I'm like, okay, it's all there. Thank you. And I start pulling off, and Randy goes, wait. Now, how many of you love when your spouse does that to you while you're driving? (laughs) I can't stand it. Like, sweetie, I don't have much life insurance. If you kill me, you're not going to get much. Stop doing that. She'll do it. (gasps) That's the good one right there. (gasps) (gasps) Wait. And I slam on the brakes. I'm like, what? 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 And she's like, let's pay for the car behind. Ooh yeah! Little did we know it was a van full of people. But that's no story. I should have looked back first. Sweetie, why don't we pay for the one behind them? That that, that would be better. But but I always remember that because we got so giddy about doing that. We were like we, we were like just little kids again. We were so stoked to pay for you know it was little nothing, probably twenty something bucks or whatever. We were, it was like, it was so much fun to do that for them, which someone had done for us. And it it led me to think, I remember that day, I wonder how that started. I wonder if it started early, early that morning. And somebody said, honey, that car behind us, that that single mom, she looks like she's just really struggling right now. Let's, Let's pay for her breakfast. And maybe that allowed someone along the day that that was hurting to spend money on something else that they really needed to spend money on. I don't know. I don't know how long it went on. All I know, it's better to give than to receive. And it's unbelievably in our world this day to be salty by giving what we've already been given. Inside the church giving grace where we received grace outside the church giving grace where we received grace understanding that whole idea of without what god's done in our life we wouldn't be here anyway how be it, how crazy is it for us to hang on to this grace that god's given us on our own and that brings us to the last point number 5 david was salted because he understood grace he understood grace then Ziba said to the king, your servant, we'll, we'll do whatever my, my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Wow. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. In other words, everything that David had told them they were gonna do, they were already doing. And, and so he had reinstated Mephibosheth. But if you go back to the point David was salted because he understood grace. He had lived grace. He could give it because he had experienced it. And then, you got to understand, no one got to eat at the king's table except family, mainly his sons. So now, all of a sudden, it reminds me of the story of Joseph coming from the the pit to the prison of the palace, almost in one, you know, just God found him. Mephibosheth thinks he's going to get killed. He doesn't get killed. He gets all the land that his family had worked for it back, and then somebody's going to farm it for him because he can't walk, and now he's going to eat at the king's table like one of the king's sons. Wow. That's a good day. Because you know how he was, he was injured, right? Saul, they were fleeing the, ca- the, the palace, and he was dropped because David was taking over the kingship. He was dropped, and he was paralyzed. But think about this. History shows us, history shows us that that Mephibosheth was probably five, six years old. And now he's reevaluating the king's table. Because you know that he ran around as a little boy and ate at that table because he was one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth says king of a son And it means blessed and highly favored. He's living in Lodabar, which means a barren place. So now, everything's being restored back to him. And David said, he will eat at my table forever. It's done. I'm the king. I'm telling you right now. Mephibosheth is going to eat at this table. So you got to think about it like this. You you think, so when you're sitting at a table, you got to think, you know, I'm not sure what goes on under that table, but I can't see. So he's he is he's absolutely positively crippled. But when he sits at the table, he looks like what? He looks like everybody else, doesn't he? He's been he's been restored back to a place of kingship, if you would. So he he's sitting at the table. And he's looking around at all David's sons. And he's like, you know what? Maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe. maybe. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's a foreshadow of Jesus. Because if I would have came in this morning. The things I do for you people. This already went viral. So I hear. If I would have came in this morning, Mark Wood. If I had came in and I, I, I and I walked out, first of all, if you were visiting, you would have left immediately. <laughs> Hopefully. Second of all, you, if you attend church here regularly, you'd be like, "What in What is, what is he doing? Like, why? Why is he doing that?" And so, um, like what? <laughs> but, but watch this. At the table, I look just like you thought I looked. Whew, man. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Jason? I I thought there were things, or I think there are things in my life that God just can't handle. Can I tell you when he died on that cross, he gave an open invitation to sit at the king's table? That's what the story's about. It's beautiful, it's such a beautiful story, and that's what it's about. It's about an open invitation to sit at the king's table and through what Jesus Christ did for us, our deficits are not visible to God. Do we have to work on them? Yes. And that's why the Bible says the only way to come to God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so no matter what you're struggling with today, no matter what you're going through, I would encourage you to pull yourself up to the king's table. Accept the grace and the love and the mercy That God showed us through sending His only Son, Jesus Christ. Make that decision today to walk with God. And don't let anybody tell you you're not good enough. I mean, I'm not going to come to work like this tomorrow. It's ridiculous, isn't it? By the way, I had to borrow these. I'm not that flamboyant, but when I sit back down at the table, we just talk, just hang out, I tell you, that's the kind of God we have, so if you feel off again in an area of your life, why don't you just sit at the table and talk, get it out in the open, bow your heads all over this place before we're dismissed, maybe that's you, and say, Jason, I... I'm realizing today that I, I need to sit at that table. Furthermore, I need God's forgiveness in my life. I need a fresh start, I need a new beginning. Basically, what you're saying is is I need Jesus in my life. I've never taken the moment to stop and, and, and really assess my spiritual condition. Salvation: interesting word. Salvation is a faith issue. You hear people talk all the time about being, hey, have you been saved? And, and what, what, all that means is, have you taken that faith part of your heart and placed it in belief that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, he took our death and sin on the cross, he was placed in the grave, he was crucified, placed in the grave, he rose from that grave on the third day. Have you actually took, taken the time to stop and confess that in your hearts? Because the Bible says that's the way to spend eternity with God. So maybe you're like a bunch of people already today. that Maybe some of the same seats you're sitting in. And you'd say, you know what? I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. I need some things to change in my life. I definitely know that. And right now I'm feeling in my heart that a relationship with Christ is the way those things are going to begin to change. If that's you and you're in this place right now. Nobody's looking around. If that's you, slip your hand up and put it right back down. I want to pray. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. See, I see your hand, bro. That's awesome. You need Jesus in your life. Fresh start, new beginning. If you raised your hand, I want to pray with you. It's just my honor. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just you taking that faith part of your heart. And, uh, and just opening your heart up So if you raise your hand Open your heart up When church is out today Go out to the East lawn, To the tent And get a Bible And a devotion Sign up for a life group Get, get, get a jump start On your new journey Most important part Is the fact that you realize That you can't do life Without God Productively So that, if that was you And you raised your hand Pray this with me Father thank you for loving me Thank you for chasing me Thank you that I'm in the seat today And right now at this very moment, I'm confessing in my heart that I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. God, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I believe with all of my heart he lived a sinless life. He took my death and sin on the cross. He was placed in the grave and he rose from that grave on the third day. And I believe with all of my heart he's coming back for me one day. So, right now, God, thank you for the forgiveness that's been granted to me through you sending your son to die for me. God, would you let your love and your grace and your mercy flood my soul at this very moment. Thank you for a fresh start. Thank you for new beginnings. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I love you. If you raised your hand, go by the tent and grab a Bible, okay?